Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Claire, Renata, and Jack. That's live from Brooklyn, New York, with a bonus episode for you today. Today, we return our conversation to our last episode's guests, who we spoke with about what it means to live and rent in Brooklyn, New York. We shift our conversation today to what it means to live in Brooklyn during 2020. We think about the implications of COVID-19 in each of their individual circumstances and the ways that it amplifies gentrification, displacement, and isolation. We also touch on the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement in each of their lives and the social justice work that is present in and impacting their communities. We'll start by hearing from Pilar, who considers herself quite lucky during the pandemic, all things considered. She was able to continue her job at a local museum remotely and had already begun planning to leave New York City for grad school in the coming months, so her timing worked out well. But beyond her own experience, she witnessed a neighborhood community greatly impacted by COVID-19, a collection of people unable to retreat like so many other gentrifiers in Brooklyn, but who were instead essential workers that were more needed than ever. She describes her experiences here. So I guess you were working remotely for a period of time at, at your apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and did that mean that you were sort of like just, were you inside most of the time or were you like sort of seeing what was going on in the neighborhood more in any, in yeah. some sort of way? Um, so I felt really, I mean, so Bushwick as opposed to Crown Heights, it still has a has significant black population, but it's also fairly uh, Latinx. It's a pretty big Latinx population. Um, Mexican and uh, and Puerto Rican for the and some Dominican, um, and so obviously people of color everywhere were because of the you know um, in an equal distribution distribution of resources across the city are were more susceptible to uh, to getting COVID, and we lived pretty close to a, one of the largest public hospitals in the city, Woodhull, and so. The number of ambulances during the day and the night increased pretty exponentially. I definitely knew that a lot of our neighbors, especially folks who were undocumented, were struggling with um, having enough money. And so um, we were donating um, donating money to the mutual aid fund that kind of cropped up in Bushwick pretty quickly. Um, I was volunteering and delivering meals to seniors at a senior center that was around the corner from our apartment. Um, and I was making... <laughs> I turned into like a World War II nurse, like all together for the war effort, and was making like uh, hand hand sewn masks. Mm-hmm. That um, there was a collective that was coming together uh, that would create masks. Just silence. It's okay. Um, that would we would all sew masks and we would deliver them to somebody who would sanitize them and then deliver them to local hospitals and like community homes and that kind of stuff. Um, so during COVID, those were the kind of like community-based efforts that I was involved in because I felt like, you know, if I'm, I'm home, I have this time and people are suffering in the neighborhood, like we should, we should do something. So you really witnessed, right, in your, mm-hmm. just where you, your neighborhood mm-hmm. that like your community wasn't able to like sort of retreat into their homes in no. the same way that other neighborhoods were doing. Definitely not. 
So it's almost like you saw the booming and you saw like mm-hmm. you saw them hit directly. Yeah, the community because people weren't. Yeah, because so many of the people that we were you know living around and working with like jo- had jobs that didn't stop. Yeah, because of COVID. Yeah, you know whether it was like people who were working delivery or working you know the like front facing and bodegas and restaurants in the neighborhood and some of those shut down but there was a lot of like delivery still happening and the bodegas were still open um and then a lot of people who work in healthcare in various ways like nurses and stuff mm-hmm. in, the, in the neighborhood or people who are doing uh who are home health aides mm-hmm. for for various folks either people with disabilities or um elderly folks and so that was still happening and so people were still going to work We also hear from Pilar as she unpacks the mutual aid groups in her neighborhood and the ways that they differed from one another and who they were truly serving, as well as her role in this sort of work during the pandemic. Other groups that did have the ability to like retreat, get involved in the way that you had chosen to get involved? Um, yeah, I would say it was interesting because the Bushwick mutual aid group was primarily gentrifiers. Yeah, it, I was yeah, wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people who were part of it were mostly like young white. Yeah. I don't know if everyone had like an you know a, an education like a, a higher degree or something, but that's what it felt like in mm-hmm. terms of like seeing who was posting yeah. in the group and stuff. Um, people who previously would not necessarily have invested in their neighborhood in this way were like, okay, I've got time now. We're all kind of screwed. We need to help each other. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do it. There was a kind of split in the group at one point because there was this feeling that the, like, white people were taking over a little too much and, and being a little bit patronizing to, like, the needs of the community. Yeah. And so there's an offshoot. So it's Bushwick Mutual Aid is the original name of the group. And then there's Bushwick Ayuda Mutua, which is the kind of Spanish yeah. uh, language-focused version of the group. And they claimed that they were, like really in communication with the neighborhood and so I've more closely aligned myself with them towards the end but there was next we hear from Rachel who experienced exactly what Pilar was speaking about in terms of people that were able to retreat Um, while she and her roommate didn't end up leaving themselves she realized and learned that nearly everyone in her apartment building had either to their extended families or to a place upstate. And this sort of position is drastically different from those who grew up in Brooklyn and uh, like Jesus and like Ben. And so let's hear from her. So we actually, in our apartment building, um, we ended up meeting somebody who was living in the apartment building who was lived there for a few years, um, like on the roof, she was like playing with her dog. and she was talking about how like everybody pretty much who was living in our apartment building like left and like okay. we didn't even really realize we live on the first floor too so it's not like we really like see that many people like in the halls or things like that mm-hmm. um but she was like yeah like everybody probably at least like six people who were living in the building like just went home i definitely think that a lot of well i don't know like i think that a lot of the area that we is mostly like families there are a lot of like um like I don't know if they're like considered like browns, so, like townhouses, I guess. And like definitely a lot of like kids running around and things like that. And like, I guess I can only kind of like talk about like other people when like the pandemic was like really bad in the middle, like how like at like seven o'clock, like everybody was like clapping and like you could hear, you know, like the people like around you. So it's probably the only way that we could really gauge like how many people were still in Brooklyn by like mm-hmm. people were like out on their stoops or like things like that were like, yeah, already... that was pretty cool. But... So the people that yeah. went home from your building 
or was it mostly like younger people that went home to their parents' houses, like that sort of thing, or like they had a place upstate or something like that? I think it was mostly people, because I'm pretty sure that most people that live in our apartment building, it's one of like the only like buildings in the area that is like an apartment building where there are like different like apartments in that sense because like all the other ones are mostly like townhouses so like I'm sure those are more like families or like people who like settled um but I'm pretty sure most people who live in our building are pretty young I've never seen like anybody in our building that's like probably over the age of like 40. Mm -hmm. um so I'm sure a lot of them went home to their families. Next we'll hear from a conversation between Jack and Jesus and Jesus's experience during this pandemic that is also drastically different from Rachel's and from Pilar's as well. I speak on anything you, you want to speak on about about what the past months have been like. Um, I have some questions here. Have you spent more time in your neighborhood than before? What has this made you notice about your neighborhood? But also, I mean, speak on your personal experience. Um, I guess the first thing I'll bring up, like kind of, I mean, you already know this, but for the sake of the conversation, so I, I want to say it's March 16th, but I don't know. I don't remember the exact date, but very, very, very early in COVID hitting New York City, um, when shit was just very scary and gloomy, um, my grandfather had passed away from it. Um, and it was very early on in the, it was very early on in the pandemic and um, I was still in school over Zoom, and that was very new. I was still angry about doing online classes. And um, it was like, I, I, my mother had told me that he passed away the night before, or the, that morning while I was in class. And it was just like, just, you know, just being smacked in the face by every new thing that had been um, changing. And, you know, evidently my grandfather had been living in the same house as as me and my mother and my grandmother um, until then. Um, and he was the first person to pass away in that specific wing of New York Presbyterian Hospital um, during the pandemic when it first began. So, you know, my, my mother and my grandmother went to visit him at the hospital that the night before and I was just all alone in the house, like having a fucking panic attack. And then, um, you know, the morning after, it was like, it was a very real question, like, was my mother and my grandmother exposed? And if so, am I exposed? Like, what do I do? Should mm -hmm. I stay here? Should I go? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because, um, you know, my family is not too widespread, so there wasn't so many options. And then on top of that, like, would I infect someone that I was staying with? I didn't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you felt yeah. like you had all that on your shoulders. Yeah. So we were all, like... Um, you know, a little worried that my mother and grandmother could have been exposed because it was very early. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to, I had to basically pack my pack my bags. You know, was it that that same morning you packed your bags? Yeah, that afternoon I was just. I had a very real ass conversation with my uncle who lives in New Jersey. You know, I was like, "Can I?" Like, are you okay with me staying there? You know, I don't know how long I'll be there. It could be a week. It could be two. It could be a month. Hell, I don't even know. It could be a year. We really don't know what's going to happen. And he was like, listen, Jesus, when I moved here from Jersey, I mean, when I moved here to Jersey from the Bronx with, like, with your aunt and um, your cousin, like, I specifically chose this house because I, because 
in any case, in any case went wrong, I wanted it to be a safe place for for our family, for my nephews, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a very realized conversation, and I appreciated it. And I had to basically pack my bags, not knowing how long I'd be away from my home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, just, it was just craziness. It was just craziness. Yeah, so, and unfortunately, I think that, that was a... I mean... Obviously, you had your own unique personal experience, and you know I'm not taking away from that in any way. But so many New Yorkers felt that way, like like what? The, like I don't. Is it going to be a week? Is it going to be a year? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how many people here in the city were asking themselves those questions? Yeah. Um. Absolutely. I mean, I I honestly don't think New York will be. New York's going to come back. I mean, New York's still okay. New York's booming right now in one way or another. Like, if I had told you four months ago that New York would look like this right now, you probably wouldn't believe me. Like, New York looks good right now. You know what I mean? Oh, I would not. Yeah. But it's going to be years before... Like, New York's forever changed, though, at the same time. Yeah. Um, While Jesus, sort of in contrast to Rachel, is facing the loss of family members and is stuck wondering where to go... Um, While he did have one option, the decision to go was much more complex because of exposure. Um, And he had sort of no sense of security of the future in terms of the near future and the coming year. While Rachel and those in her building majoritively had a secure place to return home to. Um, And that's the difference between those born and raised in Brooklyn. um, Because for them, there is no other home. Where do you return to when Brooklyn is your roots? While everyone else is using it for the experience, just like as an experiment, people are drawn by the intrigue um, of, the, of New York City life um, and its excitement and really made the choice to be there rather than it being their only option. And next we hear from Ben and his experience of being both an essential worker and someone living with elderly people, his grandparents during the pandemic. Yeah, I think... Um... I mean, COVID has definitely had an impact on everyone. Yeah. Um, right? I think that originally it was more fear and panic. Um, people didn't really know how to react to anything going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think everyone just thought this was, like, going to kill everyone. Not that it hasn't taken a lot of people's lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like now, but, now I feel like it's more of, like, the economic impact yeah, that, are settle, that they're settling in yeah i think people are trying to get back to everyday life their their everyday lives and have some normal form of normality yeah normalcy yeah um, yeah but i think for for me i was working as uh my job as an essential worker i was responsible for delivering meals to homebound seniors mm-hmm. uh se- seniors that couldn't leave their house because they were too old or scared of the virus yeah i mean especially because they're like we were saying earlier just like more at risk due to their age yeah i think i think that was a very like rewarding work i think that like i felt very important Mm -hmm. uh, because i saw how appreciative a lot of these seniors were uh how scared a lot of them were yeah Uh, and then also you know living with my grandparents like I think about if they were alone and, like, who would look out for them. And with Ben's insights into COVID-19 and his own experience of the pandemic, 
we turn now to the Black Lives Matter movement and the social justice movements of this year. And Ben's thinking about how they intersect, intersect with COVID, um, as well as the work that still remains to be done at the, and that continues to happen in his neighborhood. Do you want to... Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just wondering if you wanted to speak at all about like how you feel... Um, the, I mean, the social unrest and the protests that we had. Yeah, I think, um, you know, they did the, the city did the ceremonial uh, Black Lives Matter on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was more than that. I think um, people actually came out from the community and were able to speak on the issues of gentrification that had affected the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in COVID right now, uh, rent relief is a really big issue. Um with increasing rent in the neighborhood and people unable to work, you yeah. know, that provides that, that, that proves a problem right there. Absolutely. Are losing their home being addicted at, uh, the highest rates in a, in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and unemployment I, money just got cut down too. Exactly. So I think, I think that's definitely like black lives matter. is definitely about police brutality and value in black lives, but it's also so much more, right? Like, this is why you have to empower and do the work with these these organizations because it it affects everyone mm-hmm. and it is widespread, right? And it's and they they speak on being like being deeper than just police brutality. Yeah, right? absolutely. T- their goals are uh, enriching the community with rent and food programs and stuff like that, education programs. Um, so yeah, I, I just think the the main takeaway is not to, that this is it's not, it, it wasn't like a, a two week movement, right? We have to continue this, keep the attention on this, pay attention to this. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so in light of all that we have heard over the past two episodes and all that each of us have experienced this year, We leave you today with a candid and important conversation between friends Jack and Jesus as they reflect on what it means to be in Brooklyn right now and what this part of New York City will look like in the next few years, in the next decade, and so on. Wishing you well, and thanks for listening. This is is not a question that is on the, the sheet in front of me, but it's just something I've been thinking about since we've been talking. I mean, just a lot about how Brooklyn has changed, right? Just like the, I don't even want to say ups and downs, but just like the trends, you know what I mean? How, how things yeah. have sort of come in and out. Um, so what direction do you see Brooklyn going in? I mean, that's a tough question for anyone to answer, but your neighborhood specifically, however you want to speak on it, where do you, what do you think the next, you said since 2013, what do you think it looks like in 2027 or, you know, 2035? I don't even know if I, I yeah, that's a very hard question to ask. You know, I think I think even with all the very positive, extremely positive and proactive things that are going on regarding community outreach, there's still a lot of shit to tackle, you know, not only regarding um, just police policing certain specific areas more than others, but... Mm-hmm. Also, inter you know intercommunal uh, difficulties. Like there's been, you know, there's been particularly a lot of shootings um, and 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 deaths uh, all across New York City, but also especially in Brooklyn too. You know, so it's very difficult. 
you know, as much as a lot of the community members are coming together and being one with each other, there's also still lots of violence that's going on. Um, you know, in between those people and between um, officers. So it's hard, it's very hard to say. But within that morbid comment, I would say that it does look a little, it does look pretty hopeful. I do feel very hopeful for it because I think, especially after the pandemic, there's going to be an absolutely necessary place for, um, for language, community, um, laughter, and artwork to exist in places like Brooklyn, you know, after all the loss that everyone has suffered. I think I think I agree with everything you said. I think people right now are, are hungry, like literally. I mean, like we were saying earlier about employment. I mean, financially, like who knows what's to come? You know what I mean? Like even though the cases are down in New York City, like now we tra- now people are trying to figure out what they do with their business, what they do with their job. I mean, like the unemployment dropped from 600 to 400 a week now, like... Mm-hmm. These are people are, are faced with not enough resources for what they need to live. And I think it forces people to make decisions they normally wouldn't have to or want to. Um, but I also think times like this honestly bring out a lot of new ideas and kind of bring out a lot of creativity too. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope you're right about the direction things are going in. And I'm I'm glad to hear some optimism. Yeah. Yeah. No, I that's I think that's a good. Um, I like the way you ended that in terms of like, you know, it's almost as if not almost as if, but it, it is as if, especially in the irony of of you know just American history and the present America, like it's almost like um, these are really awful things happen in order for us to have a very new astonishing appreciation for what it means to be um together Hmm. you know Uh, um, and to and to to desire to desire a future where you know everyone's the body of any person and how they identify who they are can kind of just be be within the same neighborhood or the same roof or the same landlord yeah Until next time, it's Claire, Renata, and Jack with Live from Brooklyn, New York.